Good morning. Our gospel lesson is in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 11 through 22 momentarily. Beginning of verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at, one at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached, preached, preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come this morning to a passage that is complicated. It's full of rich truths, but we need you to come and to speak to us, to show us what you are speaking to the church. Would you come and teach us? Would you come open our eyes that we might see you afresh? Would you come and open our hearts that we might know you more? Would you come and open our ears that we might hear you and the gospel anew? It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. It is, it is good to be with you. I, I made a something of an error when I agreed to preach this weekend. Uh, as some of you will know, I, I love three things in my life, God, family, and Liverpool Football Club, um, which is my beloved soccer team. Uh, and my beloved soccer team is playing the last game of the season as we speak um, in the hopes of getting a, winning a championship. Uh, so if there's any of you who are intercessors, who want to be praying. I'm not sure how luck and providence and all that fit into this. That could be a good theological conversation for later. But I know that prayer is powerful. And so if you would like to be praying, Liverpool Football Club, or pray impeccatory prayers against Manchester City, uh, that, would be, that would be wonderful. Um, that was just free information. has nothing to do with the sermon. Uh, it, is, it is good to be here with you. Uh, we, we come to a, a somewhat interesting passage uh, as we are considering this book of Ephesians. This book of Ephesians is a great book. I have been uh, studying it with my students in uh, Tampa for the spring semester. And one of the things we've been considering is how the book of Ephesians is a book about a grand story that God is writing. That God, the king of the universe, is writing a grand story. And he's looking for us to find our place in it. And we come to this section today where Paul wants to talk not just to Jewish believers, not just to those who were old covenant believers, but to the whole world, to the Gentiles, and to say, how might you find your place in this story? It's interesting to note in Jerusalem, in the temple, 
There were two kind of courts, two main courts, an outer court that was known as the court of the Gentiles, and an inner court where only the Israelites could go. And as you would go further into the temple, you would get closer to the presence of God. And so what was being communicated was that there was an outer court where people might visit. They might, as it were, be tourists to the presence of God. But there were people who, by right, could enter into the covenant, could come in and come close to God's presence. Those were the Israelites. Those were God's people. And on the gate to the inner court was this inscription. No foreigner is to enter into the forecourt and enter past the inner wall around the sanctuary. Whoever is, ca whoever is caught will have only himself to blame for his subsequent death. It's a good one for the ushers to hold at the door on the way in. Whoever is caught will have only himself to blame for his subsequent death. And so when Paul comes and says, this God is writing you into his story. This God has brought you in. Gentiles, these Ephesians, these Greek-speaking Christians. He's come and said, God is writing you into his story. The question would have come to them, wait, how is it that we can be included? How is it that we are, can find our way into this story that God is writing? How is it that we can be included? And Paul answers that. He shows them three things. He shows them where they were, what God has done about it, and why he's done it. Where they were, what God has done, and why. Where, what, and why. First, we look at where they were. This is in verses 11 and 12. He enumerates a few different things. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, and we're skipping down a little bit to verse 12. And remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. There's a few things we need to unpack here. What Paul is listing is, is a few different things that have to do with membership in God's community, membership in God's covenant. He starts with, they were Gentiles in the flesh. Where you were is you were outside of the covenant, and you know that because you lacked the covenant sign. In the Old Testament, God had given Abraham a sign. There's a sign of circumcision that he was going to be God to Abraham and to Abraham's children and his offspring forever and ever, that God would be his God, that he could count on him, that he could call on him. That this God does not just give us words of promise, but he gives us visible signs that we can hold on to, that we can cling to. And he gave that sign to Abraham and to his children and his offspring after him. That he was their God. And what Paul is saying, you Gentiles, you did not have that sign. You were outside of that sign. You didn't have the right to call upon God. In the New Testament, circumcision gets replaced with this sign of baptism. That on the one hand, you were once outside, but now everyone can come. Those who are Jew and Gentile can all come into God's presence and receive this sign of baptism. This idea that God stakes his claim upon us. That we belong to him. That his faithfulness will endure. This is the sign that God gives. This is what he does for his people. This is why we have the baptismal font up here every week. It's not just that it looks pretty and that it's a cool thing to have up here and we should remind everyone that we baptize infants so that way they all know. No, it's an important thing for you to remember, for you to look upon and remember, I have been baptized 
God has placed his claim upon me. God has said something to you. He's made a promise to you. To be God to you and to your children and to your children's children. To be faithful to you. This is the sign that God gives to his people. The great theologian uh, Martin Luther uh, had a somewhat strange practice. He, he was beset many times by um, what he would describe as sort of spiritual attacks. And his response to these spiritual attacks was to always say, away from me, I have been baptized. It seems like a strange thing to us. That's not normally the thing that we go to when we're feeling spiritually depressed is to say, I have been baptized. See, some of you are laughing as I'm saying it. And yet what he was doing was making a profound point. That God has staked his claim on me. You cannot have me because God has called me. God has made promises to me. I don't look to myself. I look to my baptism. I look to the promises that God has made. But they were Gentiles. They were outside of the covenant. They lacked the sign of circumcision. Secondly, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They lacked membership in the covenant community. Friends, certainly uh, the church does not replace a personal relationship with Christ. Certainly membership in the church does not replace those things. It is important that you cultivate in your own personal life a spiritual and um, intense and personal relationship with God in your own life. However, your personal relationship with God does not supplant the church either. It does not replace those things. It is in the church. It is in the covenant community. It is amongst God's people where we learn what it means to be God's people. It is in the midst of God's people where we learn to love one another. What, uh, I work in college ministry, so this happens to me quite a bit. Um, I will talk to someone and they'll be like, man, I, I just love Jesus. And I love his message about love and, and, and just belonging and community. I love that so much. But man, the church, I don't know about that. And I want to acknowledge, yes, there are some of you who maybe the church has hurt you in many profound ways. Maybe this church has hurt you in some ways. You've endured difficulties at the hands of people who were involved in the church. But also, friends, if you believe in love and community... If you believe that God is a God who welcomes and brings people into relationships, that is put into practice here in the church. It's put into practice in the covenant community. This idea, this commonwealth of Israel, it could be translated as a politic, a way of life. That when we come into the covenant community, we don't just come alone, but we come together. We come into a way of life. We learn what it means to sojourn together to pray together, to love together, to serve together. We move together. To, to be alienated from those things is to be outside of God's presence. We need one another in this community. We need one another. And finally, we were strangers to the covenant of promise. We lacked access to the scriptures. You cannot look into yourself or look into the world and find God as he needs to be found. What we need, what you and I most desperately need, what we need is a word from the outside. We need God to come and to speak to us. Because if you just look inside, you'll never find God. 
If you just try to contemplate what God might be like, you'll always get it wrong. What you and I need is we need God to speak to us, to come from the outside, to give us a word about what he is like and who he is and what story he's writing. This is the God that we need. We need him to speak. We need him to reveal himself. So they lacked the covenant sign, they lacked the covenant community, and they lacked the covenant promise, the scriptures. And in verse 12, Paul says that they were separated from Christ. Here's the interesting thing. Being separated from Christ, Paul says being separated from the sign, being separated from the church, and being separated from the scriptures is to be separated from Christ. And to be separated from Christ is to be separated from the church and to be separated from the sign and to be separated from the scriptures. That friends, we can never divorce these things. We can never pull these things apart. We can never look and say, oh, I have my personal relationship with Christ, but I don't have anything to do with baptism. I don't have anything to do with the church. I don't have anything to do with the scriptures. And friends, you can never just be a great Bible scholar and say, yeah, but I have nothing to do with Christ. These things are inseparable. We don't throw out the Old Testament. We don't throw out the scriptures. We don't throw out these things, but we bring them in. We bring them in. Those who believed and trusted in God in the Old Testament believed and trusted in Christ. And so they were alienated and separated. What has God done about it? What has God done about it? Verses 13 through 18. But now in Christ Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Can I tell you something? Um, I think that gets, we get wrong. Um, I think sometimes what we want to do is we want to say um, Christianity is about a race to see who can, who can feel the worst about themselves. It's a race to see who can name all of their sins, who can feel the most despair at their own life. And what I love about Paul is Paul says, yes, you were separated from the covenant. You had no right to call upon God. He hadn't made any promises to you. You weren't seeking after God. You weren't coming after him. And he doesn't say, and so you should go and despair at yourself and sit in a dark room. He says, no, but God. But God was rich in mercy. Friends, when we're living in God's story, when we're seeing what God is doing in this grand story that he's writing, it is a story about God. It is a story about what he is doing. And so as Christians, when we come into the presence of God, when we come into this place, we don't just sing about our sin. Yes, we're sinners. Yes, we need to repent. Yes, we need to confess. But we also hear the good word of God that he has come and he has reconciled us that we were far off and he has made us near. The Christian story is not just about you in the center feeling worse about yourself. It is about you being taken out of the center and God becoming the center of your story. It is but God was rich in mercy. It is but God lavished his love upon us. But God was at work while you and I were not seeking after God. While you and I were outside, while you and I were stuck in the outer courts, God was working a plan to bring us in. This is the type of God that we serve. That he's always working on bringing people in. He calls Abraham, a pagan idolater, and says, come and follow me. 
I will be gone to you. He calls the people out of Egypt and says, come, I will be your God. I will be with you. He comes to you and to me. We weren't searching for him. We weren't seeking for him. And yet he comes and says, come and follow me. What I love about Jesus in the scriptures is he's always just walking up to people and saying, follow me. And they do. And that's your story and that's my story. We were not seeking him, but he came and sought us. But God was rich in mercy, but God in Christ Jesus has brought us near. And he's reconciled us together, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both who has made us one and has broken down his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, that wall that separated the inner court and the outer court, the ones who were part of the covenant and the insiders and the outsiders, he's broken it down. There's no more dividing wall. He's torn it down. There's no more insider or outsider. Each of us can come. Each of us can enter boldly into God's presence. I love that song that we sing Come boldly, boldly now I enter in. Because of Christ, I boldly enter in. You may have grown up in the church. You may have been baptized. You may have known all the hymns. You may have memorized the catechisms. You may not have missed a day of church in your whole life. And yet Paul says you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. You needed to be reconciled to God. He's reconciled you. And maybe this is your first time in church ever. And you grew up in the family that was the farthest from church, and you're not even sure what you believe. And Paul says the promise is the same for you as well, that you can come boldly into this place, not because of who you are or where you come from, not because of your race or your identity, not because of your family background, not because of your memorization of the scriptures, not because of any of those things, who you are, what car you drive, how much money you make, how you dress, any of those things. No, you come in here, we each come the same way. We each come through the same door, through the same gate, as it were, through the blood of Christ. We each come in the same way, for he is our peace. He's the thing that brings us together. He's the thing that we center on. We have a lot of disagreements. I don't know if you've been in church a while. We have a lot of disagreements. Some of you are nodding vigorously. We have a lot of drama sometimes. We have a lot of issues. And there's a thing that brings us together. It's Christ. He's at the center of this story that God is writing. And so you and I from different backgrounds and different places come together into this place because of Christ reconciled us together and he's reconciled us to God verse 16 that he might reconcile us both to God Paul says that both the Jew in verse 17 those who were near and the Gentile those who were far off needed to be reconciled to God they needed to be brought near here's what Paul is saying the Old Testament was moving in this trajectory, trajectory about this is a story that God is writing. And he's writing this story about Israel, 
about what God is going to do in Israel, about how God is going to restore the fortunes of Israel, about how God is going to bring Israel into her own. And what Paul is saying is, yes, Israel was a, an important thing, but Israel is not important for Israel's sake. Israel was important that it might bring Christ, that Christ might come, that we might be reconciled to God, that God, this God is not just the main character in Israel's story. He's the main character in every story. That this God is at the center of all stories. That this God is the God who's reconciling all people. This God is not content to just be a regional God, to just be a God who's worshipped in one nationality by one people in one place at one time. No, this God, his plan, his story that he is writing is one for all people in all places at all times. Those who are far off, those pagan idolaters, and those who were near have each been brought near by the blood of Christ. I had a student um, this semester, and uh, when we started talking, I just realized, like, man, she was really, really harsh on herself. Um, one of my favorite things to ask students is, if Jesus were here, what do you think he would say to you? It's a great question because it always reveals what you think Jesus is like. And very often the answer goes something like this, do better. Do better. It is so harsh and condescending. And so I met with this student and we were reading through uh, the Gospel of Mark together. And I said to her, I said, hey, have you just, I'm just wondering as we've been reading through Mark, have you noticed any themes that have come out. Is there anything that you've noticed? And she said, I just have been shocked by how often it is that Mark describes Jesus as moved with compassion, as full of compassion. So often we think that we need to do better, that we need to memorize all these things, or we need to work harder, or we need to do more to get brought in to God's story. And what this student was realizing, and what I hope you realize, is that this is a God of compassion. He does not look at the crowds. He does not look at those people who are wandering. He does not look at those people who are full of sin and sickness and say, do better. And look at them with contempt and disdain and say, why are you the way that you are? Yet he looks at the crowds. It says that he saw the crowds. He saw those who were in need of help. He saw those who were far off. And he says, he's filled with compassion, seeing that they were sheep without a shepherd. Full of compassion. He is our peace. He's the prince of peace. He's made peace with God. And so whether you're far off or whether you're near, whether you think you're righteous or know that you're not, he's brought you near by the blood of Christ. Come and take hold of it. He is gentle and lowly of heart. He is compassionate. He's reconciled you to God. There's a great, uh, the great Puritan Thomas Goodwin says that in Christ, this is amazing, in Christ, when God sees your sins, they move him more to pity 
and they, than they do to anger. Thomas Goodwin says, when, when you are in Christ and God sees your sins, he, they move him more to pity than they do to anger. Friends, do you know that? Do you know that in Christ he is gentle and lowly? Do you know that he's brought you near? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that his heart for you is one of compassion? That his heart for you is one of love? That his heart for you is gentle and lowly? Would you come? Would you come and speak to him? Would you come boldly into the throne and cry, Abba, Father? Would you come boldly? Because through him you have access to the Father. Verse 18, there's no more inner outer court. There's no more threat of death or condemnation. You can come boldly, Jew or Greek, slave or free, man or woman. You can come boldly before your Father. This is the story that God is writing. This is what he's all about. Reconciling those who are far off and calling them children of God. That is the type of God that we serve. Why did he do it? Verse 19, that we might be members of the household of God. Do you know that God calls you a member of his house? Why did he do it? That we might be members of the household of God. Have you know that there's a difference between... Um, people who live somewhere and people who are guests. Y'all know that, right? You ever go stay at somebody's house? They blow up the air mattress. They kind of clean out the corner of the room, you know? And you're kind of like, I can live with this for a week, I guess. But someone who belongs, they get their own space. My wife and I are, um, my wife is pregnant. Um, she's due in August with a, a son. Um, and one of the interesting things that we've had to do is we used to, we used to have a, we have three bedrooms and we had, uh, one was kind of a storage room. I don't know, you guys got these junk rooms. It's kind of like nobody's living in there right now. So just kind of put everything that doesn't have a place. And we don't have a garage, so everything just kind of end up in there. Bikes, tools, yard equipment, whatever. It just kind of ends up in there. And so when people would come to stay, they'd be like, do you have a place for us? And we'd be like, no, because we ain't got to move all that stuff out. And so, you know, they slept on the couch in the living room or they, you know, stayed with somebody else that they knew. Sorry, you know, hey, you come to visit, this is what you get. I'm sorry, you know, nobody's going to come to visit me now because of this. But, you know, but then we found out we were having a son. We found out that we were going to have a son. And we thought, we got to clear that room out. He needs a place. He needs a place to belong. He's a member of the house. He needs a place to be. Friends, God... God does not just give you a blow-up mattress in his kingdom. You're not confined to the backyard in the corner. But God's made a place for you in his house where you can belong. You're in the household of God. Those who had no right to call upon him, those who were not seeking him, those who were far off, who were doing our own thing, writing our own stories, cleared out a place for you and invited you in by the blood of Christ that you might belong, that you might be called sons and daughters of the King. That is the story that God is writing. 
friends, there's a place for you in this kingdom. There's a place for you. Verse 20, why did it that we might be members of the household of God? Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ as the cornerstone. See, here's the thing about Christianity. Here's where you can go wrong. You can think what Paul is saying is all that stuff in the Old Testament, don't worry about that anymore because now we got this New Testament thing. And no, what Paul is saying is, no, this new thing that God is building, this new thing that God is doing, this family, this story, this thing that God is writing is not throwing out and starting anew. It's built on the foundations of the Old Testament. It's built on the foundations of the law. It's built on the foundations of the prophets and the apostles, the Old and New Testament. The problem is not the Old and the New Testament. Those are things were good things. The thing that you need is to see that Christ is the cornerstone, the key, the one in which all things hold together. The cornerstone is the thing, it's, it could be the keystone. It's the thing in which all the other uh, bricks and everything else that is being built is measured off of. Everything else fits together because the keystone is the bit that is going to hold everything. It's going to be the one where all the tensions, everything is going to sit, is going to be on that keystone. And so what Paul is saying is, no, it's not that we throw out the Old Testament, but we look at it through the keystone. That we have to see it in the right way. That this new thing that God is writing is not just a story of a New Testament, it's a story from the Old Testament. It's a thing built together. Finally, that we might be a dwelling place for God, verse 22, by his spirit. That we might be a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Here's the interesting thing. You don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore to meet with God. Throughout the Old Testament, the story of the Old Testament was one of God moving. It was, let the Israelites out of Egypt that they might come and worship me. Okay, you're out. Now we are journeying. We are pilgrimaging. We are going towards Jerusalem where I will build my temple and I will live there. I will dwell in that house. I will be in that place. And throughout the Old Testament, it is a story of people coming and streaming to Jerusalem to come and to meet with God, to offer the sacrifices, to come and to pray, to meet with God. And now what Paul says is that God is broken out in Jesus Christ. When Jesus was crucified, the veil was torn in the temple. And God's presence is broken out into the world that you and I might partake of that. When we come to church together, this is not just a place where we come and say, man, isn't Andy singing beautiful? And we come and hear a lecture about the Old Testament. And we come and just think great thoughts. No, this is a place when we come together, God dwells in this place. God is here in our midst. When we come into this place, we meet with God. God is here in our presence. That when we come together, each of you, Paul, in another place will say, are living stones. Each of you, when you come into this place, when we gather together, we form a new temple, a new place where God dwells. Where does he dwell? Here with us. 
This is the God that we serve, that he comes after us. He invites us into his household and he comes to dwell with his people, that you and I might be a new temple, a new thing being built together, that God might be glorified. Friends, would you take him up on that offer? He's inviting you to be a part of his kingdom. He's inviting you to find yourself in this story. Take him up on it. Find your place in his kingdom. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you love us, that you care for us. We thank you that you invite us into your story, that you have reconciled us together into a new community. That we might love and serve you and might love and serve one another. Lord, would you make real to us your promise to be with us? Might we come in and out of this place saying, surely God was in that place. It's in Christ's name that we pray.